0: Chapter 13 of One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen undercurrents. The woman looked at her sleeping baby to assure herself that he was not likely to awake for the next few minutes, and then accompanied Florestan to the landing below, where she knocked at the door of a room towards the front of the house. A feeble old voice called to her to enter, and she entered, leaving Florestan outside there was a brief parley after which he was admitted to a narrow slip of a room with a deep-set window and a small fireplace in the corner the furniture consisted of an old walnut-wood wardrobe with heavy brass handles much too large for the room a narrow bedstead a comfortable armchair, and a small round table there was a closet on one side of the room which served the old lady for her toilet the wall space where not obscured by the tall wardrobe was covered with old-fashioned prints and colored lithographs in which might have been read an abstract and brief chronicle of the time since the fall of the bastille which was depicted in one of the most noticeable of the engravings they were for the most part scenes of revolution or bloodshed the death of the duc d'enguin the days of june the coup d'etat the execution of maximilian the commune there were coarsely executed prints of half a century ago in marked contrast with the superior art of later years the old woman sat in her armchair by the window neatly clad in a black alpaca gown and a picturesque white cap her missal and rosary on the table by her side and her canary chirruping in his cage in the window the withered old face had all the traces of good looks and of good blood and there was no lack of intelligence in the keen grey eyes which scrutinized the stranger take the trouble to seat yourself monsieur said mademoiselle lafon pointing graciously to the only unoccupied chair which was placed opposite her own my good friend yonder with a glance at the door through which florestan's introducer had retired tells me you want information about some former lodger i was born in this house and i have lived in it nearly ninety years that is a curious thing to happen in such a restless city as paris said florestan interested in the sad old face the dull and barren life how came it mademoiselle that your life was thus uneventful there are many such lives in every great city monsieur lives that are of little more account than the life of a limpet on a rock my father was flung like a weed on the ocean of paris a lad of sixteen without friends or home his father was an advocate prosperous successful his mother was a beauty sought after by the best people in paris all his boyhood had been spent in the stormy atmosphere of the revolution but the troubles of those dreadful years seem hardly to have touched his home his father was in constant employment and had a voice in the national assembly where his eloquence made him a man of mark. his mother's friends still flocked round her except when now and then the guillotine made a sudden gap in the circle the dominicans in whose house my father had been educated were broken up and dispersed he was at home in idleness enjoying his life and all the fever of the time waiting till his father should have leisure to take up the thread of his education hoping to follow in his father's footsteps as a successful advocate full of belief in the golden harvest of that bloody seed which was being sown broadcast through the fairest cities of france boy as he was he was already an ardent politician and had the entrée of more than one club where opinion was ultra-red one night he went home from a turbulent debate at one of his clubs to find the servants in tribulation and his home desolate his father and mother had been arrested and taken to the conciergerie within a week they had both passed by the gate which fouquier-tinville kept on the road to eternity their more fortunate friends were powerless to help them or afraid to interfere my grandfather had neglected his private interests for the cause of the republic and he died deeply in debt creditors took possession of house and property and my father wandered about the streets homeless and hungry too proud to appeal to his father's friends the old woman paused for a few moments and then seeing that her listener was warmly interested continued in her slow deliberate accents quietly reciting a story which she had told to all comers for more than half a century chance brought him in his desolation to the threshold of this house he sat down upon the step in front of the shop door not because he chose that place above any other but because he had reached the limit of his strength and must needs drop somewhere the shop is kept by a shoemaker now and it was kept by a shoemaker then a provencal whose father was head gardener to madame du barry at Lucienne, and who had come to paris to seek his fortune in the golden days of court favor madame du barry's head was laid low and court favor was all at an end francois vial and his wife were struggling on as best they might mending and making shoes for red republicans they were not too poor to have pity on your father i take it said florestan their hearts were larger than their means monsieur they saw a fainting lad sitting on their doorstep with his head leaning against the doorpost, and they took him in and fed him and comforted him he told them that he was the son of suspects who had been guillotined but that did not frighten them they took him into their home and nursed him through a long illness a low fever the result of grief and privation he had been wandering about the streets nearly a week before they took compassion upon him wandering about and sleeping in dark corners of the city with only a few sous between him and absolute starvation francois vial and his wife were childless and they took a fancy to the orphan and taught him their trade he had no other friend in the world to help him, for those of his father's friends who had not been swept away upon the strong tide of blood had left the country, and there was no one to help him except these good people. So he, who was to have been an advocate and a senator, was content to make and mend shoes, and he fell in love with an orphan niece of Francois Vial, a little fair-haired girl, who had comforted him in his sorrow for his dead parents; and he married her when he was three-and-twenty and and when the new-fledged empire was beginning in splendour and glory he had quite reconciled himself to his humble avocation he was content to remain what destiny had made him his mind seemed to have adapted itself easily to that humble sphere i have often wondered that it was so that the blood in his veins did not revolt against that daily drudgery that narrow sordid life it was strange assuredly that he never tried to get back into the sphere from which he had dropped i think that in his long illness when his mind was wandering most of the time all the links that connected him with his past life may have weakened till the influence of that life was nearly lost and he was able to begin a new existence among low-born people without feeling much pain in the change at any rate he never made any struggle to regain his lost place in the world and later when François vial and his wife had saved enough money to buy a little vineyard and olive orchard in provence he was glad to take to the business and the house in which he had worked and it was in this house that i his only surviving offspring was born how came it that you never married mademoiselle asked florestan after he had expressed all due interest in her narrative those who asked me to marry were people with whom i could not have been happy it may be that something of the pride of race which had died out of my father's mind was revived in me i always felt it a hard thing that my father eugène Lafont, de Lafont, as i saw the name written in old documents should be a shoemaker this street was not so shabby in my youth as it has been for the last forty years but it was not a vulgar neighbourhood even then and i used to walk in the fashionable quarters of paris of a sunday afternoon with my father and used to feel that fate had used us hardly i saw the marquis de Lafon drive by in his carriage and my father told me that i came of his proud race he made a joke of the difference between us but it cut me to the quick that we who were of the same family should be so wide apart my father and mother both died before i was thirty and i was left alone in the world they had just been able to make a living but they had saved only as much as served to pay their debts and to bury them the house and the business passed into other hands but i stayed here like a piece of old furniture i have been a lodger in this room in which you find me ever since my father's death i was able to earn my own living when i was eighteen by fine needlework and i worked at the same business for fifty years i was seventy years of age before i ever needed help from any one but at that age my sight began to fail and it would have gone hard for me if the marquise de la had not chanced to hear about me from the mistress of the large lingerie shop for which i had worked all those years the marquise took pity upon my helplessness and pleaded my cause with the marquis who came to see me and looked through my papers and made out my father's relationship to the great family Convinced of this, he granted me a small pension, which his house steward has paid me ever since. His generosity has made my declining days peaceful and free from care. I rise from my bed every morning with the assurance that my daily bread is provided for me, and I know that I shall not lie in a pauper's grave. For my noble kinsman has promised me a niche in the family vault at Pere Lachaise. I pray for the marquis and his family every day and i hope that the prayers of a grateful old woman may be heard by the blessed virgin whose divine pity has succoured my loneliness but you have not been altogether lonely i hope mademoiselle you have found sympathy and friendship even within these walls said florestan gently leading up to the question which he wanted to ask yes i have had friends here friends who came and went It has often seemed to me that this house is like a caravanserai in an Arabian desert. My friends were so quickly gone, like travellers who stay only for a single night. Some have been very good to me. I would have loved them if I had dared. You want to ask me about a lodger in this house, Madame Manon told me. Was the person here in the long past? Two and twenty years ago. Ah, that is not the past the friends i remember best are those of fifty years ago who was the person you are curious about a milliner's apprentice called toinette i do not know her surname a milliner's apprentice repeated the old woman musingly there have been many such in the attics bright girl faces sad girl faces have passed by my door through the long years and have faded and vanished like my own dreams toinette 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 she repeated still musing florestan waited patiently while the slow memory of old age wandered in the dim corridors of the past presently the old woman took up her missal and began to look through the well-thumbed pages between the leaves there were many of those little pictures of madonna saints and martyrs which romanists love and every one of those little engravings with their lace borders was a souvenir of some vanished friend and on every one of them there was some scrap of writing she looked through them slowly and carefully and at last came to a little picture of saint stephen on the back of which was written to mademoiselle Lafont from her loving toinette saint stephen's day eighteen fifty seven there is the name at least said the spinster toinette yes i remember she was a sweet girl and i was very fond of her and i think i helped her to escape a great danger but she vanished like the rest of my friends they were all shadows there is only this lonely room and that bird-cage with its changing occupant that remain i try to cheat myself with the fancy that the bird is always the same but even he changes i put away my poor little dead canary and buy myself a new one and call him by the old name but it is long before he gets to know me as the dead bird did ah monsieur that is what makes life hard that it should be so short for some time and so long for others yes mademoiselle that is a misery we all feel But it is some consolation to have lived a blameless life as you have. "'Limpets live blameless lives,' retorted Mademoiselle Lafont with a touch of scorn. "'There is no more merit in my blameless life than in a limpet's.' "'But you were asking about Toinette?' "'Yes, please tell me all you can. Her surname in the first place.' "'Impossible. I have quite forgotten it.' "'What was the danger from which you helped to save her?' her romantic love of a man who was her superior in station an englishman you do not think that any evil came out of that love it almost broke the girl's heart no more evil than that i believe the man meant honorably though he trifled with the girl who adored him he did not mean to betray her he was touched by her love for him he gave her some half-dozen jaunts in the villages near paris tete a tete sunday afternoons upon the seine which are not always so harmless as in this case he respected her innocence and her friendliness and she was able to respect herself i was her only confidante, and i warned her of the peril which she ran when she gave her heart to a man who was very unlikely to marry her she had not long come from the south and she had only one relation in paris a brother who did not often come near her Do you know how the brother earned his living? He was an assistant in a chemist's shop. Did you ever see him? Two or three times. Toinette brought him into this room to show him off and to let him talk to me. She was proud of him, because he was cleverer than most young men of his station, but I don't think he was as kind to her as he might have been, seeing that she was a stranger and alone in this great city. Did he know of her love affair? not at the beginning but afterwards at my advice she told him all about her sunday jaunts with the englishman he made a great fuss and swore that the englishman should marry her and although my poor toinette entreated him not to interfere he evidently did so for a few days after their conversation the girl received a letter from her admirer bidding her farewell and enclosing an english bank-note for two thousand five hundred francs She brought the letter to me in her despair. She was broken-hearted, poor child. She told me she had never hoped to marry him. She only wanted to be with him for a little while now and then, as she had been at Bougival or Asnières, just to see him and to hear his voice, just to know that he cared for her, though she would never be more to him than his humble friend. And now he bade her farewell forever. His letter was a kind letter, a gentleman's letter written in very good french i tried to make her understand that there was no other course for the englishman to take if he were an honest man if she could not be his wife she could be nothing to him i told her that it was kind of him to send her a parting gift which would be a dot for her when she should marry some honest young man in her own station was she willing to accept his gift asked florestan not she the poor romantic child burst into a fresh flood of tears and asked me if i could think her so base as to take a price for her broken heart he has been very cruel to me she said and the cruelest act of all was to send me this money i shall send it back to him i begged her to think better of it and to remember that if her health failed her or work should be hard to get by and by that there would be nothing between her and starvation if there were not she said i would not eat the price of my love i did not sell him my heart i gave it to him freely and would again and again and again i love him as i love god and his saints did she return the note it passed out of her hands but whether it reached the giver is more than i can say she had written her letter and enclosed the money in the envelope when her brother happened to meet her his visits had been more frequent than usual since he found out her love story he questioned her about the letter and she told him what she had done he approved and offered to deliver the letter telling her that there would be a risk in sending so much money through the post it had been delivered to her by hand i may observe my poor toinette was simple enough to trust him but whether the money ever reached its destination is doubtful i never liked her brother's countenance or manner and i certainly would not have trusted him with any delicate commission did you see much of him after that time mademoiselle no he was too much taken up by politics or clubs to waste his time upon an old woman like me or to pay much attention to his sister i saw more of her than ever poor child for she had no one to take her into the country on a sunday afternoon and her sundays were mostly spent in this room she was very good to me she used to read to me and cheer me with her company though it was too plain that all the happiness had gone out of her own life she lived in this house till the dark days of the commune and in all that time she had no sweetheart no friend except an old woman she was a splendid worker industrious economical as good as gold and so the years crept on she leading her dull uncomplaining life and i saw the second empire crumble and fall into ruin as i had seen the first and greater empire after the troubles began toinette's brother took her away to london with him at an hour's warning he had been entangled with the communists and he was in no small risk of being sent to new caledonia from that time to this i have heard nothing of her or of him i think if she had prospered and been happy she would have written to me so i fear that all has not gone well with her if you would only remember that young man's name said florestan his name yes i remember his name was claude claude Morel memory which had failed mademoiselle lafon when she tried to recall the sister's surname recalled the name of the brother without an effort i thank you most cordially mademoiselle for the amiability with which you have answered all my questions began florestan when the old woman interrupted him do not suppose it has been irksome to me to talk to you she said with her sly smile my life is very lonely and i have few intelligent people to talk to and i dare say you know that women like to talk especially old women you have let me talk about myself and my poor little history it is always a pleasure to tell one's own history if you have pleased yourself dear mademoiselle you have done me a service all the same and i should like to present you with some little souvenir of our conversation i cannot venture to offer you money Pray do not said the little old lady drawing up her head with a certain hauteur which did not ill become her i am very poor and i live upon charity but it is a kinsman's charity i have enough for my small wants and i like to think myself a lady though my father was a shoemaker believe me i know how to honour good birth and refined manners wherever i meet with them replied florestan deferentially i want therefore to offer you some little gift something for this room in which you spend your days for instance which you may receive without the slightest derogation of dignity ah monsieur do not laugh at an old woman more than old enough to be your grandmother it seems a satire to talk of my dignity in this one poor room which serves me for bedroom parlour and kitchen ah but dignity does not depend on surroundings except so far as they belong to character the exquisite neatness of this room would alone tell me that i am in the apartment of a lady he looked round the poor little room so scantily furnished so old and faded as to woodwork and wall-paper yet with that look of airiness and perfect purity which some women know how to give to the poorest room one thing only seemed to him out of harmony and seeing that mademoiselle lafon liked to talk to him and was quite ready to give him her confidence he ventured to express his wonder at the style of art which she had chosen to adorn her walls you wonder that i should surround myself with scenes of bloodshed she said with the image of the guillotine which made my poor father an orphan in the morning of his life with the picture of the fall of that fortress with whose ancient towers there fell the old aristocracy of france never to rise again with the old power or the old influence over the fate of men it is a strange taste perhaps but i like to look at the dreadful records of that revolution which robbed me of fortune and station before i was born and which has given me so little except loud talk and empty promises in place of all it took away i like to brood over the dark days that overshadowed paris before this century and i were born it is a morbid fancy perhaps but it pleases me the history of my country is written in blood and i like to read that history Do the pictures never spoil your sleep or mix themselves with your dreams? asked Florestan. Very seldom. I have this under my pillow, and I have her blessed image to reassure me. She touched her rosary with her long, lean fingers, and glanced to the wall beside her bed, where a plaster statuette of the virgin mother stood on a little Swiss bracket over a bénitier. What shall I bring you to decorate your room, mademoiselle? inquired florestan smiling at the little old lady so serene in her simple faith ah monsieur you tempt me to impose on your generosity and then almost reluctantly the ancient spinster confessed that there was one thing for which she had been longing for the last thirty years ever since she had begun to feel age creeping on with increasing sensitiveness to cold she had longed for a duvet a little eiderdown down quilt to put upon her bed every frenchwoman of any substance has her duvet but how was she whose little pension just served for food and fire to save enough money to buy herself a duvet it was not possible she had been trying for thirty years but when by much hard pinching and scraping there were a few francs in the tirelire, there came a sickness and the tirelire had to be broken to pay for medicine and wine and soup you shall have the duvet this evening you shall sleep under it to-night cried florestan enchanted at being able to gratify a long-cherished wish of this patient creature's he thought of the lonely monotony of her life with inexpressible sadness could life in that gloomy old fortress which once stood not far off from this gloomy street have been very much more dismal than life in this one small room over the cobbler's shop such a street not one pleasing object not one spot of brightness or colour to be seen from the window strain one's eye and rick one's neck as one might nothing but the dull grey houses over the way and the dull grey street right and left of the window florestan not only promised the eiderdown but he promised also to go and see mademoiselle Lafont again and then after gently touching the wasted hand he took up his hat and bowed himself out of the room his first visit was to the Bon Marché, where he chose an eiderdown quilt of the very best quality, covered with rose colored silk. It was a relief to him to think that there would be one little bit of vivid color in that long neutral tinted street, though nobody would see it except the little old lady. When the warm weather begins, I will send her some pots of stocks and wallflowers from the flower market and beg her to put them on her window sill as an act of Christian charity, he said to himself it is too dreadful to think of people living in such a street while within half an hour's walk there are the laughing gardens and the white villas the gilded gates and glass porches the bright-coloured folly and frivolity of the avenue de l'imperatrice or whatever these republicans call the place i only remember the old names that i knew when i was a boy the eiderdown dispatched to the old lady florestan's next visit was to a man he had sometimes had occasion to employ while he was secretary of legation a man who may be loosely described as a private detective to this person he imparted his desire to find out the whereabouts and occupation surroundings and character of a certain claude morel employed before the commune as a chemist's assistant subsequent mode and manner of life unknown i have reason to believe that he was concerned in some of the outrages of that period said florestan finally and that when the troops from versailles got into paris he found it prudent to get out with as little delay as possible if he was active and influential at that time i ought to be able to find out all about him said m jaluc for there has been a pretty sharp look-out kept upon those gentlemen especially upon those who escaped a voyage over the seas give me a few days to make my inquiries mr florestan and i will call you with the result this was all that gilbert florestan could do towards the fulfilment of his promise to mrs arden he wrote a long letter to her after his interview with mademoiselle lafon relating all that he had learnt about antoinette Morel. it was a relief to his mind to be able so to write for when entrusted with his commission he had feared that his investigation of robert hatrell's life in paris might reveal an intrigue which it would not be well for the wife to know happily in this memory of a past love or perhaps only a passing fancy all was innocent a city idol set in a young man's history like a flower between the leaves of a book florestan went again to the sombre old salon in the rue saint guillaume where the three women lived in luxurious seclusion he was the only visitor on this occasion although it was the evening which madame quijada set apart for her friends it was obvious that her circle was of the smallest the room was full of flowers as before costliest flowers masses of azaleas and white lilac lighted up the dark panelled walls a shallow vase filled with gardenias exhaled an almost oppressive perfume in the drowsy atmosphere and dolores wore a cluster of heavy yellow roses fastened amidst the rich black lace of her bodice with a diamond pin these things told of wealth from some source or other and florestan suspected that the source was not altogether holy louise marcet received him with a gentle smile her plain black gown and complete absence of ornament contrasted oddly with the subdued splendour of her aunt and cousin but the melancholy expressed in her face was hardly more pronounced than mademoiselle quijada's ennui and florestan told himself that the young and lovely woman was not much happier than the faded spinster whose age he was unable to guess that iron-grey hair was evidently premature and the deep lines in the face were those which sorrow ploughs in young faces rather than the wrinkles of advancing years florestan found his society appreciated by dolores who brightened at his coming and seemed to enjoy his conversation she talked very little herself and she was evidently afraid of her mother but she was not without intelligence there was something in her look and manner which suggested the idea of an imprisoned spirit a nature bound and trammelled, a bird caught in a net. Monsieur and Madame Duturc arrived soon after Florestan, and the professor entertained the small assembly with various rêveries, suites, nocturnes, and gavottes of his own composition, which were so impressed with the stamp of the composer's individuality that to Florestan's untrained ear they sounded all alike. The utmost he could find to say about them was that they were strikingly original. It was a very quiet evening louise marcet sat in her favourite corner and only replied when she was spoken to at ten o'clock madame quijada invited her guests into an adjoining room where tea and sherbets and daintiest sandwiches were served with some distinction florestan noted the mass of silver and delicate porcelain and formed his own conclusions conversation grew livelier with the stimulus of the slight refreshment the excellent du turc devoured foie gras sandwiches by the dozen and drank much straw-coloured tea out of shallow eggshell cups while his worthy wife nibbled sweet-cakes talking in a gentle strain all the time to madame guiada about the delinquencies of her latest bonne tout faire. this entertainment lasted nearly an hour and the clock chimed eleven soon after the little party returned to the salon florestan approached his hostess to take leave when the door opened suddenly and a man walked unannounced into the room saluted madame quijada with a careless nod as he passed her and made straight for the piano near which dolores was seated talking to the professor he leant over dolores and began to talk to her without taking the faintest notice of any one else in the room you are late leon said madame quijada i had given you up for to-night i've no doubt you are able to amuse yourself without me replied the late arrival with a resentful glance at florestan may i ask to be introduced to your new friend assuredly if monsieur permits florestan bowed monsieur leon duverdier mr florestan madame quijada's circle is so small that a stranger's presence always makes an impression said duverdier are you a resident in paris mr florestan or a visitor only your face seems familiar to me very likely monsieur since i am a resident and an habitué in many places where parisians are mostly to be found duverdier turned to dolores and florestan was going to wish his hostess good-night when his attention was attracted by louise marsay who had risen from her seat and was standing near the door of the dining-room paler than he had ever seen her before and with her eyes fixed upon duverdier with an expression of mingled horror and aversion without a word and with that gaze unchanging to the last she passed into the dining-room shutting the door behind her duverdier noticed the manoeuvre with a nervous little laugh mademoiselle marsay is no more sociable than usual he said lightly has she been suffering from one of her hysterical attacks neither mother nor daughter answered his question and he did not repeat it florestan changed his mind and instead of bidding good-night seated himself near madame quijada's sofa where he remained while the du took leave a somewhat lengthy business and while Dolores and the newcomer conversed in low voices and with their heads very close together this is the man she loves thought florestan but i don't think this is the man who finds the gilding for this luxurious cage he had made up his mind to outstay the late arrival if he could without bad manners and he occupied himself by profound consideration of the stranger's appearance it was a handsome face and a clever face but the cleverness was closely allied with craft the good looks were marked by obvious indications of a premature decay such decay as rarely comes from any other cause than a dissipated and wholly evil life the lower part of the face was hidden by a thick black beard but there were lines about the eyes which told a whole history to gilbert florestan he had lived much amongst frenchmen of all grades and he knew what those wicked lines meant i am sorry for madame Quijada's daughter he said to himself and it was with a real sorrow that he saw the beautiful young head leaning so near the high, narrow forehead, prematurely bald and deeply lined, the fresh and pure cheek of girlhood almost touching the cheek of wasted manhood with its livid, bloodless hue and sunken outline. Women are like barnacles, he said. They are always ready to fasten upon a wreck. The timepiece chimed midnight. He could not decently protract his visit, having arrived at nine o'clock duverdier had a better excuse for lingering and he evidently meant to stay madame quijada begged florestan to repeat his visit dolores hardly looked up in answer to his parting salutation her whole being seemed absorbed in duverdier's half-whispered utterances where did you pick up your new friend asked duverdier directly the door closed upon the departing guest at that general miscellany of curiosities the du turc salon i suppose he went on answering his own question. Yet he looks a trifle too aristocratic to have come out of the Turc collection. We met him at Madame Turc's all the same, Madame Quijada replied coldly. Really? And may I ask your motive for making him free of this salon? He is a gentleman, and he seemed interested in us. In our lonely lives, it is pleasant to make an agreeable acquaintance whose society cannot compromise us do you think perez would approve of such an acquaintance perez is in spain yes but he is not going to stay there for ever and when he comes back to paris and finds your english acquaintance domesticated here i doubt if he will be over pleased he will not make any objection to an occasional visit from mr florestan indeed there is only one person to whom he seriously objects namely your humble servant i accept the prejudice as a compliment and now best of women to business i have been making a proposition to dolores but she is not an arithmetician and i cannot inspire her with a proper appreciation of the difference between capital well invested and capital lying idle at a banker's don't trouble yourself to say another word exclaimed madame quijada i know exactly what is coming you have got into some new difficulty on the bourse and you want us to help you out of it as we have done before to our everlasting loss i am not in a difficulty but i have the chance of making a great coup and you may share my luck if you like thanks for the privilege we are not gamblers this is a certainty the valley of dolce aqua mineral works a valley west of santa rosa in the sonoma country a valley which is one silver mine since the creation that wealth has lain there unknown undreamt of it is known only to a chosen few the whole valley has been bought for a song shares in the property are now to be had at par once the truth gets known they will go up five hundred per cent you know what silver has done for mackay in the dolce aqua valley there is the making of twenty mackays will you go in for a share in a big pile while you've the chance no answered madame quijada with uncompromising firmness that is a monosyllabic answer at any rate it is one you can't misunderstand i think it was copper last time was it not and the time before it was lead and before that quicksilver what will it be next time i wonder perhaps brass my dear aunt you are unscientific brass does not grow in mines no only on the foreheads of men i suppose there was a long silence during which duverdier paced the room with a troubled air he was decidedly handsome and he had a certain style which is attractive among a certain class though it is the very opposite of good style he was in evening dress but there was a carelessness about his costume and an odor of tobacco which hinted that his evening had not been spent in very exacting society well he said at last looking first at dolores and then at her mother if you will not go in with me and pull off a fortune perhaps you will help me by a loan i have pledged myself to take a hundred shares at five hundred francs per share and have paid a deposit of twenty per cent which will be forfeited if i don't take them up to say nothing of the discredit will you lend me twenty thousand francs for three months my dear leon you talk as if we were rothschilds my poor girl and i i talk with a perfect knowledge of who and what you are replied duverdier in a cold hard voice and with a cruel emphasis upon every word i talk with the knowledge that Dolores has but to lift up her finger in order to get any money she wants out of that old money-bag perez whom you and she only tolerate because he is a money-bag she has only to say to him i have a caprice which will cost me twenty or thirty thousand francs a gown a horse an orchid what you will for the cheque to be written and the cash placed at her disposal, to fling out of the window if she likes. "'What if he were to guess that the caprice was another name for a lover's necessity?' asked Madame Quijada. "'He will not guess. He is blind and helpless where Dolores is concerned.' "'Well, he is not going to be fooled this time. I forbid my daughter to lend you another Louis. You have bled us enough already, enough for a lifetime.' you belong to an insatiable race the race of gamblers racecourse monte carlo or bourse it is all the same thing call the vice by what name you like it means ruin and yet if it had not been for one venture of mine you would never have been able to make a new start in life at madrid as woman of a good family said duverdier white with anger you owe me everything and yet you refuse to help me in my need you had better forget that old debt for fear i should remember it too often said the elder woman there was something in her tone something in her look that silenced him for a time and when he spoke next all the insolence was gone from his speech for pity's sake help me with a few hundred louis he said if you refuse i am a lost man and i know you have something in an old stocking more thousands than i am asking hundreds you are too clever a woman not to provide for the hazards of the future if i have put away something for my old age you can't suppose i shall destroy that provision in order to save you from a peril which would be renewed in less than six months if things are desperate in paris you had better get out of paris while you can and try your fortune somewhere else i never thought this a good place of residence for you you have made up your mind he asked with sudden fierceness, irrevocably, so be it, good night, Dolores. He took her in his arms before she was aware, kissed her passionately, and walked to the door. What are you going to do? You will know all about that to-morrow. He answered, and banged the door behind him to give emphasis to his words. Dolores would have rushed out of the room in pursuit of him, but her mother stopped her on the threshold. He means to kill himself cried the girl wildly, Not he, child. Of a thousand men who make that kind of threat, only one ever realizes it. He belongs to the Nine Hundred and Ninety-Nine! End of chapter thirteen.